So our reading for this week is Romans chapter 1 through 4. That's what we will be studying. And so I'm going to go to Romans chapter 4. I know it's 1 through 4, but we're going to go to chapter 4. And I was looking over certain scriptures and things that I have not been able to speak on. And I was looking at either, it's either going to be Romans 2 or Romans 4. So I know I've spoken a lot and talking talk about the first half and the second half of Romans chapter 1. So tonight we're going to get into this study. I think it would be very helpful to you for us to understand some things. One thing that you might be thinking at is kind of by the way, kind of a parallel thing as we're studying this tonight, is the subject of circumcision comes up a lot in here. And that it's not a part of the New Covenant, a part of the New Testament. Now, like we studied in, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and Deuteronomy chapter 30 says that circumcision is really about the heart, and it's about circumcising the heart, cutting off anything that attaches to our heart that is selfish and that would lead us away from, from God and removing those things. Even in the New Testament, we see that. Now, as you think about that, there is a group out there, uh, I'm going to associate primarily the, the Presbyterians, who connect baptism as equal to as the uh, Christian version of circumcision. And they go to Colossians chapter 2, 11 through 13 for that. Not only that, but they also will Christian, Christian that when they, they baptize their babies, they, uh, of course, they're not baptizing repentant believers like the Bible says. And they're not really baptizing because they're sprinkling or pouring water upon the infant. And they look at that as an equivalent to circumcision. And so in their mind, they're thinking, well, this is a work. And when you keep that in mind and you read some of these scriptures that we read about uh, in Romans 2 and Romans chapter 4, and you have that mindset already in your head, you'll see why so many people today say, well, baptism's a work, and it's not essential or necessary. You know, and I was thinking about that, and I said, well, if I came from that perspective, I could see that. But then I started, and I said, but let's see if I can address Mark 16, 16 with that mentality that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved or Acts 2 2.38 or Acts 22.16 or 1 Peter 3.21 or Colossians 2.12 uh, and 13 and a number of other uh, passages came to mind and as I went to him I said there's no way there, there's no way that you can you can equate baptism to circumcision of the Old Testament and therefore set it aside or say it is secondary or that is a sign or a seal we're going to see a little bit about that tonight, and I just want you to think about that along the way. If you ever, if you're listening and you're thinking, uh, and you start to drift, you know that's something else to think about too. While we're while we're talking about this, this is actually a quote from Scripture, and we're going to come back to it. We're going to see it more than once here in the text. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And that's a quotation from David's Psalm, Psalm 32, and it's quoted in Romans chapter four. And I bring this passage up because it is a blessing. In other words, it's a gift. It comes by God's grace. What does? When God does not count your sin and He forgives you. That is God's grace. And that has, when you understand that and you believe it, and you believe in God's promise that He's forgiven you, it's life-changing. You live your life differently. You think in a different way. And so Romans 4 is going to tell us a lot about this, being righteous by faith. And what it looks like. Um, I think for a lot of ministers, it'd be hard not to go over to James chapter 2, but I don't think that's necessary tonight to be talking about living uh, in dead faith and, and faith without works. 
We'll, we'll come to that on another time. Uh, just as a summary of James 2, I would say the faith without works is someone saying, I believe that there's one God, and stop and not doing anything else with their faith. Um, and, th- and there's probably more to it than that. But let's get into Romans chapter 4, and let's read verses 1 through 8. We're going to draw out some passages, and I think you'll find this very edifying. I'm going to try to take what is very often one of the chapters of Romans uh, that people think, oh, it's too deep, or they can't quite wrap their mind around it, and it's, it's maybe too hard to understand. I think we're going to make it very, very simple this evening, and a lot easier to understand. All right, so Romans 4, let's read verses 1 through 8. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has nothing, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. There's that quotation from Genesis. He believed God, believed God's promises, and God counted that as righteousness. And you need to emphasize and look at the words for justified and righteousness. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Number f- verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted uh, as a gift, but as his due. And that's a lot how people think, people think today. They think, I'm a good person, I do good things, good people go to heaven. God, you owe me. It's due to me. You've got to save me. You still hear that. Verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Why would God do that? This guy's not working. He didn't do any good works, but he just believes in God's promises and God counts him as righteous. Let's go a little bit further. Verse 6, Just as David also spoke of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So we came right back to that passage that we began with. Some observations here, some thoughts here. Abraham is the example. He's the foundation. He is the forefather of righteousness by faith. He believed in God. But we recognize this. When when Abraham believed God and God said, you're going to be the father of many nations, he wasn't hindered by it. He, He would have reason to. If you were almost 100 years old and your wife had been barren, your whole life and your whole married life, and, and you're, you wouldn't be hoping for a child at that point in your life. But God said, and He promised, that they would have a child and that He would be the father of many nations and of a blessing upon all the nations of the world. And Abraham believed God. Now he has reason to hope. And that faith is counted as righteousness. And what did that faith do with Abraham? What produced a lot in him? When you believe, when you actually know who God is as your creator and what He can do, You live a different way. You think a different way. You perceive everything in a different way. That's what a living faith does. It's not someone that says, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and I believe in God, and leave it at that. I'm okay. I I, I pray. It's more to it than that. And so Abraham's faith is fundamental and is an example and a model for us. So God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. We'll talk about that a little bit further. How can he do that? How can he say, okay, Abraham... You are now righteous. What does that mean that he is righteous? How can you count that as righteousness? What does that, what does that mean? Another thing that pops up here is the word justified or justification. What does that mean? So you have the same Greek word. When you read righteousness and when you read justification, you have 
the same Greek word there, okay? You're reading the same thing. When you read righteous, you're reading justified. You're reading about justification. You think about that for a moment. That might be the first time you ever heard it or ever actually thought about it. So when you're going through Romans and you're reading, you read the word righteous, and the next time you, the next verse you read the word justified, you're reading the same Greek word, okay? So they mean the same, and they're connected, okay? So when we think about righteousness, we're thinking, well, there's a right way of living, and God is all righteous, and, and for us to be righteous, we need to live in that right way. That's usually how we think. But that doesn't bring about us being justified. So we're... So that's where it gets deep. That's where the peop- most people get lost. Like, I, I don't understand what you're saying, Paul. We're going to clarify that in a moment. But those who work to be justified, to be righteous, I do not seek for God to save them. They don't seek it as a gift or as a blessing. They don't look at it that way. They look at it as a due. But what does the Bible say? What well, we just had quoted from us in Psalm 32, it is a gift from God. Another way to call it a, a, it a gift is a blessing. Another way to call that... Another thing to call that blessing is that it's God's grace. It's His favor. Okay, All those that connect together. That's what God is doing. He's giving you a gift. Do you believe in it? Do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that He resurrected from the dead? And do you allow that to change the way that you live, the way that you think, the way that you behave? You could just say, oh, I believe it. But if, if that's it, you're just saying you believe in it, it doesn't change you. There's something wrong there. You're missing it. The God counts as righteous, justified, the person who believes over the one who does the work of the law. Well, why? Wouldn't you just say the person who's doing good, shouldn't that one be the one who's justified? God wants you, number one, to accept what he gives you as a gift. He wants you to accept his grace and to believe in it and believe that he's given it to you. Because God knows this, that if you believe in that way and you really trust in Him, it's going to change you. Your life's going to change. Your work's going to change. Everything about you is going to change. You're going to have that living faith that actually produces good works. But if you're just going through and doing good works because of your own self-righteousness or your own pride or just to justify yourself and say, oh, I'm saved and God owes it to me, you're missing it. You haven't accepted God's grace. And I think there's one passage that's real key in here that tells us a lot about what Paul means by God counting us as righteous. What does he mean that God counts us as just or justified? God counts us as righteous when God blesses that person with forgiveness. Okay? So let's make it simple now. Let's simplify this whole thing. You're right with God by his own gift when you believe in him and he forgives you that simple you already knew that most of us we know that we understand it that's what it means by justification here's you can think about it in this way when it says being justified it means you've been forgiven i know that because i can read it right here in romans chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8 again where paul gives a description and he quotes from david blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the man against whom the lord will not count his sin And Paul is illustrating, he says, that's what it means to be justified. That's what it means to be right with God. How can I be right with God? You can be right with God by accepting his gift, his grace, and believing in it, and by believing in it, that it changes you fundamentally. And you might be thinking now, why would would God give me all that? I mean, say I believe in all that, but I've got all these sins in my life. Is he, is he just going to now be unjust and just forgive me 
for all the evil things that I've done? Well, no, he's already made a way for that as well. God is righteous and he's merciful, and so he's made a way through Jesus Christ. And Paul just explained all that in chapter 3. And we'll reference a little bit of that, but I want you to think about that. But why would God, again, count someone as righteous? There again, if you want to go back, there it is, Romans 3, 21 to 26. And what the passage says is that God demonstrates his own righteousness, that he is right, that he is merciful, because he has provided a way. He has gone beyond what he needed to do to save us, those he loves and those he cares for. And if you're not overwhelmed by this, God's mercy and his grace, what can, what can we do for you? You should be. You should be this is the, God gives me this blessing. What does he want me to do? He wants me to believe that he gave it to me and that he gave it to me through Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thought. And again, just to emphasize this, I'm trying to make it clear, justification is when God counts the believer as righteous, as right and just with him. Why? Because they've been forgiven of all their sins. And we know what the Bible says when we've been forgiven of all of our sins is when we've been baptized. Acts 22, 16, Colossians 2, and verse 13. Other scriptures might come to your mind. But that's it. So, I don't know about making it any, any clearer than this and what we've just read here. And there it is again in Romans 4, 6 through 8. I know I've gotten ahead of myself. But read that and tell me if it says anything else because that's what he's saying. David speaks of the blessing of the one of whom God counts righteous apart from works. How so? Because he's forgiven them. He's covered their sins. He's blessed them. He doesn't count their sins anymore. Why? Because they believed in him. And again, the word righteousness and justification, there's the Greek word up there. I put it in, uh, in kind of an English form. Dikaiosune, right here. And uh, you need to memorize that for the test. No, you don't. But that's a, a good word. And it's good to know that those two things are connected when you're reading through the book of Romans. So the Apostle Paul, he taught that forgiveness, and he goes on and he emphasizes that forgiveness is a blessing. It is a grace. It's, it's from God's grace. It's a gift from God. And so the blessing of God's forgiveness is for the circumcised, he says, and for the uncircumcised. In other words, it's for the Jew and it's for the, and, and for the uh, Gentile. It's for everybody. And then he goes on to, to explain this. He says, now I want you to think back on Abraham. When Abraham was circumcised, it was a sign and a seal. Now, remember when, I, when we first started this. Don't you hear people today, they'll say, well, baptism's just a sign. It's just a seal that you've already been saved. Where are they getting that from? Well, the Presbyterians are thinking baptism is Christian circumcision. It's just a sign and a seal. It comes after I've been saved. But that's not what the Bible says about baptism. Now, I know if you go to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11, you do see a connection to spiritual circumcision, cutting off the sins and the things of the flesh in your life when you're baptized. And they are connected there. But that is in no way going to negate what the Bible says about you being forgiven of your sins from the moment that you rise from water, from that baptism in Jesus' name. So we see what circumcision is. Paul emphasizes it here. He says it's a sign and a seal of righteousness. And what he's saying here is that, listen, Abraham was made right, and he, God loved him and gave him his gifts, and he was qualified because Abraham believed. 
Now, Abraham could have said, I, I don't know about that, God, and, and then denied it. And said, so that, that's just not possible. Well, then he wouldn't have received the promise. But he did this, and he believed it. And it changed the way that Abraham believed, and he lived his life. And, and here's another thing about that. He was already counted as righteous before he was circumcised, before he entered into the covenant and took upon that sign. God commanded circumcision after he had been made right with God, after he had been counted righteous, after he had been forgiven of the things uh, and things that he had done. But what effect does faith in God's grace have on the believer? What, how does it affect you? And I think some people get in their mind like, I've I got to make sure I'm doing everything right. I've got to keep all the commandments. Well, yes, you do. You need to be obedient to God and keep His commandments. If you love God, you'll keep His commandments. Jesus says that. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 14, verse 21, 23, and 24. He, Jesus says it. John says it in 1 John chapter 5, 1 through 3. We read about it. If you love God, you'll keep His commandments. We understand that. But here, here's the truth of it. You can't approach it and just say, I'm going to keep the laws and be a good person and be saved because God owes it to me. No, you've got to approach it from the very beginning. By God's grace, by His own blessing, by His gift, He has saved me. And when you realize that and you think about it and you meditate, and I hope that you pray about it this week when you're reading through Romans chapter 1 through 4 and you allow that to affect you and to change you, to change the way that you think, and your life will change. You'll see the work of God like you've never seen before. We go a little bit further into Romans chapter 4, and if you're following along with your Bible, I encourage you to do that. I'm not reading every one of the passages. We'll, we'll read a few more, though. But Romans chapter 4, and verse 13, and then again in verse 18, God's promise to bless the world through Abraham was by the righteousness of faith. It's by this way, that you believe in what God has promised, and He will forgive you and make you right with Him. And some, you know, oh, that's just so simple. It's just too easy. Look at what Romans 4 verse 13 says. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law. That's true. It didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That promise. It came by believing and trusting in God. And what would it take for you to believe that when God tells you something that, that you're going to trust in Him? If you were in Abraham's place, and God tells you, here you are, nearing the end of your life, almost 100 years old, that you're going to be the father of many nations. How are you going to respond to that? Your wife's been barren for so long. Are you going to believe that? Well, Abraham does. And it changes him. It changes everything about him. And, and some might say, well, in some ways it looks like Abraham tried to find different ways around it. And he, he kind of did. But he kept believing in God. And, and all of his mo everything that he did, all of his motivations... It's because of his faith in God and what God had told him that he would be the father of many nations. But if God's promise to bless the nations by Abraham was by the law, the law would then do what? It would mean that it doesn't matter what you believe. It's just a matter of you doing good works and keeping the law. But nobody can perfectly keep the law, can you? We all fail in it. The law tells us that. The New Testament tells us that. There's a lot to think about right there, just to, to let it rest upon you. And it's more of a, it's kind of something that sits upon your heart. And you pray about it, and you think about it. As we think about this, God's promise, for it to be 
for God's promise to be a gift of His grace, then the promise must depend upon faith. You can't think about that. If um, I told you, I'm going to give you my truck. I'm going to give you my truck out there. And all you got to do is give me $20,000. Am I giving you my truck? No. I'm getting money back for it. So it doesn't work like that. It's not a matter of, of debt. That's, that's not a good exchange. But if I say, you know, I'm going to give you my truck, and uh, you believe me, and I hand you the keys, and then you walk right out the door, again, you don't, you're not really believing me, are you? You're going to act by it. You're going to take the keys and be like, oh, thank you, and then realize, you know, this is a great gift, and you might be asking, why would you do this? And there's, that, that's what God is doing. He wants you to be asking, why would God do this? Why would he give me this? Why didn't he just leave me alone or let me die? It shows you this as well about faith, that when God gives you a gift and he wants you to believe in it and to accept it in that way, he must love you. He must love you. He must care about you. Everybody. What a shame it is for someone to say, I don't want that gift. I don't believe it. It's too much. It's too easy. What faith did Abraham have according to Romans? What, what was he believing about God? So let's kind of get down to the heart of it because it's not, it's not merely saying I believe because, you know, I said I wasn't going to reference James 2 too much, but James 2 says, you know, if you just believe, it says faith without works is dead and you're not saved by faith alone. We see that James 2 and verse 24. And you see that also here in the text throughout Romans. It's going to be very clear. In the beginning of Romans chapter 1, I think it's verse 5, where Paul says, we're teaching the gospel for obedience to the faith. In other words, we want people to believe and believe so that they obey God. And then in Romans chapter 16, I think it's verse 26, I may be wrong. He says again, it's for obedience to the faith that we have shared the gospel so when people hear it, that they obey it and it changes them. A lot of people don't realize this. They keep, they keep trying to do everything right and force things and, and overcome things on their own. And they haven't come to the point of just saying, God, thank you, and I believe in you, and I trust in the forgiveness that you've given me, that you've forgiven me for all my sins and the rebellion I've committed against you, and I will do my best. You, your heart changes. I don't want to ever rebel against you again. I don't ever want to sin against you because you've forgiven me. I'm not going to go back to those sins. I'm not going to turn away from your gift that you have offered to me. And what is it? Now, let's get back to this. What is it that Abraham is believing? Let's read that here. Romans chapter 4, 17 and 18. What is he believing? I'm going to back up in verse 16. Read it too. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. It's not grace, it's not a gift if it's by the law, if you have to pay for it. And he says, and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So Jew or Gentile, everybody has this, if you will believe, look at verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. There you have the instruction of God toward Abraham and, and telling his blessings right there that he's the father of many nations. It says, In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead 
and calls into to existence the things that do not exist. And so he believes that. He believes that promise. And he believes in the God who can give it to him because he believes certain things about God. And what, does it, what is it that Abraham believes about God? He believes that God gives life to the dead. Well, how do we know that Abraham believed in the resurrection? Well, I could go to the book of Hebrews and read it. But I can go to Genesis 22 and verse 5 where Abraham told his servants who were with him, he says, I'm going to go up on the mountain with my son, with Isaac, whom God told him to offer as a sacrifice, and he intended to offer as a sacrifice, but he also told them, and he wasn't lying, we are going to come back. We're coming back. What does that mean? The book of Hebrews says, well, evidently, Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham believed that God would resurrect him from the dead because he's the one of whom God promised him and said, through Isaac, all the nations are going to be blessed. This is your child. This is your son. So he believed in that. And not only this, he believes that God is the one who can take things that do not exist and call them into existence. He believes in the one God, the creator. Now let's keep going. Verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope. And that's what it's talking about from the very beginning. Without God's promise, Abraham would have no reason that he's going to have a son and that he'd be blessed and that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him unless God had promised it. And that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. And that's amazing. If you want to ignore me the rest of the time and keep reading, I don't blame you because now he's going to tell you about how uh, Abraham was not weakened and he became strong in his faith. And because his faith was strong, because his faith was living, it, it changed him. So Abraham had a faith that God keeps his promises. That's important. Do you believe that? That God forgives you of your sins. That he's provided a way through Jesus Christ. That he won't abandon you. That he won't forsake you no matter all the trouble and all the hardship and the things that you go through in your life. God is not going to forsake you. He's going to be with you. And if you want to read more of God's promises, people love Romans chapter 8. And the reason why is because so many of God's promises are there. He won't leave you. We see this. He began to believe that God gives life to the dead. And then again, Abraham had faith that God calls into existence things that did not exist. He, Abraham, had, Abraham had a life-changing faith. If you believe what Abraham believed, and if you believe something similar to that, and Paul's going to tell us what it is in a moment, you're going to have faith like Abraham. And you're going to have strength by it. And you're going to know where that strength comes from. It comes from God, from your Creator. So in Romans 4, verses 19 through 22, Abraham's faith says it was not weakened, he was strong. And that Abraham believed despite his age and Sarah's barrenness, he believed the promises. That's what Paul said. I've been telling you that from the beginning, getting ahead, telling you what Paul's already going to tell you. But now you can think about it a little bit further. And that God counted the faith of knowing his power and knowing his deity and believing that he can do these things and who he is, he counted it as righteousness. He counted Abraham as just and righteous and forgiven. I like that. I love it. I want that faith. And when I believe like that, as we get further in Romans, we're going to see certain things are going to happen. We're going to believe, we're going to confess our faith, a specific faith, we'll talk about that in a moment. And then we're going to die to our old selves, and we're going to be buried. We're going to bury the old self as Christ was buried in the waters of baptism. We're going to rise in the newness of life, and we're going to rise in a way in which we are a servant of God for the rest of our life because of what He has given us. So Abraham's faith is in God's promises. 
It was so strong that he applied it to every part of his life. But a lot of people, they believe in God, but they don't, you know, they don't apply God to everything. Maybe I'm a little crazy in that way. But when I go fishing, I'm thinking about God. And I'm praying, God, help me catch a fish. When I stop at a red light, or I'm coming up on a yellow light, and I don't want it to be red, I pray. I involve God in everything. And sometimes it may not be quite right, but the more I learn about my Creator, the more I know how to trust Him, trust in Him, and rely upon Him. But I don't want a part, any part of my life to be without God. It, whatever TV shows I watch, whatever books I read, whatever music I listen to, whatever's on the radio, whatever the news is, media is trying to tell me, I'm not taking it outside the scope of God. I get, I get irritated when I go on YouTube and I see these political commentators and they will say a whole bunch of good stuff. And you know what I'm thinking? Why haven't you mentioned God? Why haven't you mentioned the Bible or Christ? It's, it's something wrong with that. It's not right. So I want to live by faith. And I think you see a lot of people in the world today trying to get by just saying they believe and not really living by it, not believing in a way that changes them. As we start to conclude, we're coming down to the, the final passages of Romans chapter 4. Listen to what Paul says in verse 22 to 25 of what we need to believe. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteous, righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Why? Because if you would believe and trust in God, you'll be counted as righteous. And that it changes you. And then we see this. It will be counted to him, uh, counted to us, who believe. Believe what? Who believe in Him, or believe in God, and that God did what? That He raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? What does that mean for us as far as a promise? It means one day, like Garland's mentioned earlier, that when Christ comes back, we're going to be raised and resurrected. You need to believe that. The Bible teaches us that, that repeatedly. And then the Scripture says, that Jesus Christ who was delivered, that God delivered him up for our trespasses, for our sins. Do you believe that? And that he raised him for our justification. A lot of people don't connect Jesus' resurrection to forgiveness. But it would make no sense if Jesus merely died and didn't conquer death. It would mean Jesus died and took on the consequence of sin, and that was it. And maybe he made, it just, maybe he made a way and access into heaven, and that was it. But that's not where the gospel ends. The gospel is completed by the fact that Christ rose from the dead and provided a way for us one day to be resurrected. And there's so much to learn from this. This is why these little core, little doctrines like this, that I say it's a little doctrine because that's how many people treat it. They overlook it. They kind of pass it by and... Yeah, I believe Jesus resurrected from the dead. It's part of a confession. I said it when I was baptized. No, it's, it's the core of our faith. It's the way that we believe and perceive everything. So this is what we see tonight from the book of Romans chapter, in Romans chapter 4. Christ is the offspring of Abraham so that everyone can live by faith. You can be justified. You can be forgiven. And you can have a living faith. Christians are righteous by faith. We live the way that we do because of what we believe about God and Christ. It's supposed to have a change in our life. 
we should believe that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. Now leave me with this passage here, getting ahead in our readings, to Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. Romans 10, 8 through 10. And I think we can't say this without also connecting Romans chapter 6, as we've already noted. But this is what Romans 10, 8 through 10 says. The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that you proclaim. You proclaim this. You confess your faith. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. It's in the future. You've got to first believe and confess it. For where the heart one believes and is justified... And here the translations go a little bit further in saying is, but the heart believes so that you can enter into the state of being justified. And with a mouth one confesses so that they can be saved. And it brings it all together. So tonight as we read those scriptures, I hope that we take it to heart and that we think more about what we believe in. That we believe in who God is, that he can call into existence things that don't exist, that he can resurrect the dead, and that he resurrected Christ from the dead. And therefore, we have hope. We have forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. We'll finish with this passage here. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Are you justified tonight? Have you been forgiven of your sins? If you believe and confess your faith and you die to your old self, you can be buried in the waters of baptism and rise to the newness of life. If you've drifted away and your faith you think has maybe become weakened, I encourage you to pray about it, get somebody to pray with you. Strengthen your faith, and you can do that this week by reading Romans 1 through 4 and study with us. Be here on Wednesday night. We encourage you to do that. Whatever your needs are tonight, we encourage you to come now. Let's sing together.